Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Paul Francisco. Join us as we are pointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone, as recorded in God's holy word. And as I said last week, God saw fit for three verses for the women. And this week we have nine verses to speak to us men. God knows that we are knuckleheads and we need to hear things more than once. I will confess to you this morning that depending on time, we may not be able to finish this full exhortation. And if that is the case, uh, we will pick up next week and continue. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, we will spend our time um, in all these verses, verse 25 through 33. And as you make your way there, I will tell you this week, out of all the time of preparation that I normally put into a sermon, I spent less time exegeting the text and spent more time eisegeting the text. And for those of you who don't know those words, what that means is I spent less time in actually breaking out and studying the text, but I spent more time actually living out the text this week. As many of you know, my, my wife had surgery on Tuesday morning and uh, with five children, and praise the Lord for a, a mother-in-law who stayed behind to help us. And, you know, as you imagine, the trips back and forth to Las Cruces to the hospital, um, children going to school for the first time in person since the month of March, um, online as well, uh, through meals needing to be made, through driving to appointments. Um, my hands were really busy. But the Lord had taught me firsthand the profound truths of the text this morning. And rather than laboring in just the pure study of the word, I was taught by living out the word through my wife's surgery and now recovering. And I praise God this morning that my beloved is even here this morning to be with us. The Lord has taught me what it means by leaving, leading by example, uh, how to protect my wife and caring for her physical needs and providing by picking up the slack in her normal duties of our home. So I want to propose to you this morning what this text would speak to us, particularly husbands. Husbandry in marriage is to be a picture of the gospel. A sacrificial relationship of the bridegroom laying down his life for his precious bride, Christ, and the church. And when we as husbands use our position of authority in marriage as a means of biblically leading, protecting, and providing in love, it displays the gospel and glorifies God. Let's pray one more time before entering in this time. Lord, I am no match for your word. 
it was very evident and clear this week that you were speaking to me. So this morning, as an empty vessel and a spokesperson for your word, may I decrease and may Christ increase. May the word of your truth, the word of your power, be profound to us this morning. And may we receive the bread and the food of life through your son, Jesus. May we see not only a conviction and an exhortation to the hearts of us men and husbands, but as a body, may we see the beauties and the majesties of Christ through a Christ-centered lens. And may you use this for your glory and our joy this morning. Amen. So to, by a way of context, Paul has been laboring and painting the picture of the church in this new society. In terms of unity and purity, these qualities are indispensable to a life which are both worthy of the calling and fitting to the status of the people of God. And we looked at this key concept in verse 21 of submission in relationship to Christ. Submission to one another in the practical implications of marriage and biblical submission is where we look now. We now look at this as it plays out in the role of husbands. So to give you a roadmap of where we're going this morning, Christ-centered husbands, we should see that there must be Christ-centered love. For there to be Christ-centered husbands, there must be Christ-centered love. To be Christ-centered husbands, there must be Christ-centered servant leadership. To be Christ-centered husbands, there must be Christ-centered protection. And lastly, for Christ-centered husbands, there should be Christ-centered provision. And so as we look at this first point of Christ-centered love, we see in the text, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our text begins with a command for husbands to love their wives. The duty of husbands is to love. It is a charge of submission to Christ by loving. It is not an emotional, weak affection a love, but agape love, strong, sacrificial love. As mentioned last week, verse 21 is the key to understanding this text. The idea of submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. This act of love is to emulate Christ's love for the church. When husbands submit to Christ, they are now able to love their wives as they ought. But why love? Why not just using our skills? Well, Christ knows our weakness, men, 
and our tendency to want to use our self-reliance of problem-solving, our personal skills, or hard work to get the job done. Consider this for a moment. When your wife is upset or is crying with something that has happened, isn't our tendency to try and fix it? This is our default mechanism. And we often miss the mark. Women want us to show them love and understanding. What about our authority or role in headship? Why didn't God say to exercise that? Christ also knows our sinful tendency to want to show dominance over women, particularly in the account of Genesis 3, 16, in the fall, where it says, your desire, speaking to the woman, shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This desire is not a godly desire. This is a distortion of the truth where the woman, the wife, wants to assume the role of the husband, which God had not designed, and then the husband sinfully decides to put her in her place. This is a distortion of God's design in marriage. The wife, rather than submitting to her husband's leadership, she desires to take it from him. The husband, rather than serving his wife out of love, desires to rule over her like a tyrant. Husbands, your wife is not a doormat made to serve you. Nor is it your job to put her in her place. In fact, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, where Paul talks about the same exhortation, and he summarizes these points, and he tells us how to our love our wives. He says this, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh. A husband is to be kind to his wife. A kind husband is incomplete without her. Consider Genesis chapter two and God's design for marriage. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Genesis chapter two, verse 18. God declares this, he says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man shall be, should be alone. I will make with him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every kind, every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man names, gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
It was not good for man to be alone. There was not a helper fit for man. God had brought all the creation before him, walked them before him, had given him dominion and rule as vice rulers of the creation. And yet man was alone. And God said it was not good. Man was made complete by woman. She was his helper, and it was good. Husbands, your wife is part of God's good design for you. And you are to treat her like the treasure she is. A bride that you are completed by. John Piper says it this way. Apart from the intervention of God with the gift of celibacy, it is not good that man should be alone. True, male confidence therefore operates within the context of mutual kindness. Confidence that in any confidence at all but mere, sorry, any way hints indicates or says to a wife that I don't need you is not real confidence at all but mere arrogant bluster. Men who build themselves up by tearing down their wives are following the wisdom of hell. A husband is kind to the one who completes him. And we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Loving as Christ loved. This word for love The agape love is used six times in our text this morning. Verses 25 to 33, you could see it. Paul emphasizes the self-giving character of love in verse 25 when he says, Christ and his church. And it's concern to benefit the other so that life together will be wonderful. Verse 26 and 27. And what did Christ give willingly? His life. Men, husbands, this means death. Husbands are being charged with death. It may be easy enough, sure, for us to say that you love your wife so much that you would take a bullet for her. But what about dying to yourself? Willingly giving of yourself in service or benefit to her. Rather than her serving you, you serve her. Perhaps you cooking dinner. Perhaps you doing the laundry or changing the diaper. Christ lay down his life willingly for the church. The bridegroom offers his life for his bride. He loves his church. She is the display of his work. The glory of the church demonstrates the glory of God. A beautiful blood-bought treasure in his eye. There is a love that exists that is eternal. 
that's so great that the bride is attracted to its bridegroom with deep affections because he is willingly giving up of himself for her. So what does a husband, so how does a husband love his wife well? Look to Christ. Christ in his love for the church is the model for the husband in loving his wife. A loving husband gives of himself freely. A loving husband will lay down his life, die to self for his bride. A husband's self-giving is for the benefit of his bride. In Revelations, we are permitted to see a glimpse of this perfect glimpse of this glorious marriage. And if we were to turn to Revelations chapter 19, verses 6 through 7, don't turn there, I'll just read it for you. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So what does this love look like? Husbands, Love by biblically leading, protecting, and providing. So we turn to our second point on Christ-centered servant leadership. The text tells us that he might sanctify the husband's love for his wife as Christ's love for the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of what? Water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul now turns our attention towards the working out of his love husbands should have for their wives. Through a husband's servant leadership, the wife's Biblical submission flourishes. Through the husband's servant leadership, the wife's biblical submission flourishes. The meaning of a wife's biblical submission, namely, it is a happy response to a husband's biblical leadership, or as Ephesians 5.23 says, calls it headship. When men are doing what God calls men to do in a relationship, they are doing it when they when they are doing it rightly, biblically, most, most women love it and are happy to respond to it supportively. When you as a husband are submitting to the Lordship of Christ and willing and sacrificially giving of yourself towards your wife, you are leading them in love. This is Christ-centered leadership. And this leadership is producing something. A precious bride that has been adorned, loved, and been washed clean by the water 
of the word. Just as Christ works to present his church to himself as a glorious bride in a glorious marriage, so also the husband works to make his wife glorious and their marriage glorious. Through the water of the word. There are five verbs Paul uses here in the, these verses to describe Christ's commitment to his bride, the church. He first says in verse 25, he says, love, right? And he uses it six times. He loved her. He loved his bride. Secondly, he says in verse 25, gave. He gave himself up for her. Thirdly, he says, sanctify. To what in this verse 26? To sanctify her. And cleansed. He cleansed her by the washing of the water with word. And then he says, why? To present, so that he may present her to himself. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel, beloved. We can certainly look back on Christ's eternal preexistence in which he set his love on his people and determined to come save them. So why did Christ do it? So that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. Christ and working and continuation of it is so that the bride doesn't make, her, doesn't make herself presentable. It is so that the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. Therefore, husbands, in your leadership of your wives, when you love them well, by sacrificially giving of yourselves, seeking to sanctify them through the word, which cleanses them, you do so in order that you might be able to present them as holy and without blemish. However, This is a real struggle for us men, right? I mean, we would rather watch the football game than hang up pictures on the wall for them. We would rather exercise our authority over them than yield out of love. We would let our wives lead in areas we don't care about out of convenience. This is a real danger and harm to both our God-given role of biblical manhood and his design for husbands and marriage. This is clear in our society today where so many men would rather sit at home and play video games than, and watch sports than do hard things for their families. Husbands abdicating their roles of leadership and not taking responsibility. Consider Genesis 3 for a moment. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. Read this with me. Turn there. Read, I'll wait for you. I want you to see this with your own eyes. I'm going to read and interact with this a little bit with you. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did you notice that? He said to the woman. He didn't go to the man. He didn't go to Adam. He went to the woman. Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God say that they could not eat any tree in the garden? No. This is the devil. He knows scripture better than we do. And he distorts it. And then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Did God say that? Did he say, neither shall you touch it? No, he didn't. So now the serpent who's crafty, who knows scripture better than us, doesn't go to the man. He goes to the woman, knowing that she is the weaker vessel, as 1 Peter 3, 7 says. The sermon came to her. The Satan distorts the truth of God's word. And then the woman adds to God's word. And then this is what happens. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing Good and evil. Okay, so now the temptation, the sinful temptation has been manifested in the fact that this is why Satan and the third of the angels fell from heaven, right? This idea of pride, which is truly the root of all evil. The pride means that I say to God, I don't need you. I am the captain of my own ship. I am like God. And this is what Satan tempted her with. And then, what does she do? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Did you notice that? Did you catch that? Who was with her? That's right, her husband, great answer. Her husband was with her. He, during this entire time, stood back, abdicated his role in leadership, watched what happened, and said, oh, okay, I'll join in. He was not leading according to God's design. Instead of leading and protecting her, he gave up his role and follows her. And then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. So the only thing that happened is they knew that they were sinful. That's the good that they thought they were getting. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Brothers and sisters, this is what sin does. It's like a disease, like a cancer eating away and manifesting itself at our bones and killing us. And it brings us to shame. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Who, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of, of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid himself. He said, 
Who told you that you were naked? Of course, God knows this, right? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, now listen to this. Especially as children, right? You did something wrong. You don't want to pay the consequences for it, right? You wanted to watch that TV show, have that piece of candy, whatever that good thing that you think is good for you, but you know that you have done wrong. And when you were asked, what did you do? Oh, uh, she did this, right? He did that. Don't want to take responsibility for your own actions. Now look at Adam's response. But the Lord God called to the man and said, what are, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of, sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, the woman you gave to me, be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Now who, who is Adam blaming here? That's right. You catch that? The woman you gave me. Not the woman, as many might think, and say, oh, why did the woman sin first? Everything would be all right and want to put the blame on the woman. No. He blamed God for his own sinfulness. The woman you gave me. Husbands, when we love our wives as we ought, we will lead them well. So what does loving the, them well in our leadership look like? First, I would say to you men, to you husbands, look to Christ, imitate him. Just like Jesus did, he gave his life in order to create an environment where we can flourish under God it is through the water of the word that we can be fully alive. He came and preached it. How are you doing this for your wife? Perhaps you'll ask yourself some questions. How can I best organize? Just ask yourself this. Think about this. How can I best organize the time, energy, money, and relationships time, money, energy, and relationships that the Lord has given me to enable my wife to best flourish as a woman under God? Do you give her time alone from the kids to meet with God devotionally? If not, how will you create that space? Have I given her enough time to meet with other women for support and encouragement? Have I given her enough uninterrupted, devoted time with me? With this approach, we are not tyrannized by a list of things we're supposed to be doing, but rather we are liberated to be excellent students of our wives. We are free to consider how we can use the resources God has given us to best love them. Jesus Christ gave all in order to create the ideal circumstances for us to flourish as children of God. So we husbands are called to love our wives the same way. We give our resources that they, so that they can be all they were meant to be as the daughters of God. This pleases him 
and blesses them. So we've seen that Christ-centered leadership is essential to be a Christ-centered husband. And Christ-centered protection is now we turn our minds to important to be a Christ-centered husband. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. We also love our wives well through a Christ-centered protection over them. The same way in which we wouldn't mutilate our bodies, we should not treat our wives with harshness or harm. We demonstrate our love for them by guarding and protecting them from any harm, whether it be physically, emotionally, or spiritually. No one better lay a hand on our wives. I remember when I was going through seminary and a point in our marriage, and I think we only had two children at the time. Um, yeah, it was our two oldest daughters. And Joy and I went, and I remember, I'll never forget her face when she asked me, when I told her the country, we went to Indonesia. She goes, what? A place that's on the voice of the martyrs? I mean, she was thinking, whoa, where are you trying to take me? And so in my leadership, I went through a book on missions with her. We read through it. We talked through it. We prayed through it. We prepared. And then she was willing to go. And then when we got in the country, <laughs> and God has a way of using these situations to uh, humble you. And I remember I got sick. Oh, I got so sick in one of the, in between the islands. We, we like went from... Bali to the Sulawesi in this big island. I got sick in the airport. It was vomiting everywhere. Then we got to this little island of Bhutan. And, and, and then we got on a ship, what I call it as a slave ship, because this was awful. I mean, it was, it was like they just stuffed people in there in rows. Rats were running around on the ground. There was no bathroom. There was a hole in the thing where you had to go. We are rocking and everything. I was sick as a dog. And we got out into these little islands called the Wakatobi Islands, Wangi Wangi, um, uh, was it Wangi Wangi, Tomika, Tom, what it, I can't remember. Anyways, there were four islands, and I remember in these islands, they particularly like people with the light skin because of the history of the Dutch and so forth. And so uh, my wife was a celebrity, and I was actually the odd man out. They didn't care that I was brown. And I was like, I look like everybody else there. So they were, fall I mean, I, at one point in time, we were on this island of Tomio and we had visited these schools and were looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And my wife and uh, the head missionary's wife uh, were walking and talking, and the whole village of kids were following us around everywhere we went. And then there were older boys, men looking upon, and I watched carefully. No one better lay a hand on my wife. I love what God was doing. And I love that God was using her. But I was going to protect my bride. So everywhere we went, and we did face 
Quite a bit of dangers, huh? I almost drowned to death once, right? And there was a lot of stuff going on, and I watched over my wife. That's what we're called to do. We are to protect our wives physically. But we're also called to emotionally, carefully watching and listening to their needs. Not downplaying or dismissing their concerns, men. Don't downplay or dismiss your wives' emotions. Ah, you're just being silly. Ah, get over it. Cowboy up. By the way, I sinned in that way once and that didn't go over well. Um, don't do that. Spiritually, we're also to guard them, right? Guarding her time for devotion to the Lord. Making space for her, praying together, providing platforms to use her spiritual gifts. Husbands, our wives are gifted, beautiful creatures of God. God intends for them to use their gifts too. Cultivate that. Guard that. We should live with our wives in understanding, giving them honor. As 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in understanding ways, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. She's not just your wife, not just your bride. She is your sister in Christ. Praise the Lord. In the same way, in the same sense of loving your neighbor as yourselves, we are called to love them as our nearest and dearest neighbor. When you love your wife this way, you are loving yourself. We don't hate our body, but we nourish and cherish it. We eat for sustenance for nourishment, for strength, so we're able to accomplish the task. We cherish the good things in our lives. These two verbs indicating, they indicate a nurturing care. This word literally means to keep warm, nourish, keep warm. The one cherished is one of highest good. She is your beloved. To command to love your wife as your own body reflects the love Christ has for the church and his body. There is a tenderness in this godly headship. The headship of a husband over his wife must not be negative. It must not be oppressive or reactionary. Let's say this again. The headship of a husband over his wife must not be negative, oppressive, or reactionary but one where he gives himself freely for his wife's good, nourishing and cherishing his beloved as one who is equal in value, equal in worth, made in an image of likeness of God, voluntarily submitting to his headship, Christ. That's what it means for us to, as husbands, submitting to the headship of Christ when we serve our wives well, when they lead them well and protect them well. This is love. In this relationship of a Christ-centered marriage, we are his members, his body, the precious bride in which he purchased with his blood. 
And when husbands lead and protect their wives with this kind of love, wives receive it, willingly coming under the submission. And it exalts Christ. And then we come to Christ-centered provision, right? So a Christ-centered husband leads with a Christ-centered servant leadership. And a Christ-centered husband protects with a Christ-centered love, and he also provides with a Christ-centered mind. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, his wife as himself, and let the wife see that he, she respects her husband. Lastly, when husbands love their wives with a Christ-centered provision, it reflects Christ's provision for us, his church. Again, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2. A husband is no longer under the leadership, protection, and provision of his parents, but he is, not, he is now not, but is not called to... Sorry, I can't even read my own words. But is now being called to do this for his wife. It's time for him to make a mark on the world, joined together with his wife, clinging to his wife. This is a godly service to his wife, providing for her needs. Scripture tells us but if anyone does not provide, this is in First Timothy, by the way, provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you fail to faithfully provide for your wife, you do not care for your own flesh. There's these implications of being one flesh that we see in the text here. From Genesis 2.24, it says, At the same time, the word, the word body implies the link to one flesh concept. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. God's design for marriage was a union of oneness. The idea of both husband and wife being connected sexually for the purpose of procreation, but also the idea of being united in one body in relationship to Christ. This exhortation to a husband to nourish and cherish his wife as he does his own body is more than a useful guide to daily behavior. As John Stott puts it, However, it is also contains an inner appropriateness since he and his wife have in fact become one flesh. Yet God intends sexual intercourse not only to be a union of bodies, but symbolize and express a union of personalities. It is when husband and wife become thus deeply one with each other that truly he who loves his wife loves himself. But does this mean that if a husband works hard and makes good money, that he has fulfilled his duties to her? Because I talked about this provision, right? Of course not. If you do this and neglect your biblical role of leadership and protection, you have not 
only unfulfilled your duties, but you have disobeyed God in his design for marriage. Providing well does not equate to just making money. If you provide well for your family, you, her, your wife, and your family's needs, but neglect by leading and protecting well, you have not loved well at all. Rather, consider asking this question. With regard to money, have I allocated it in the best way in order to fund those things that stir her affections for the Lord? Does my provision include opportunities to feed her soul? How's my provision leading my wife to love Christ more? Does my provision help to protect her, to fulfill her God-given role? Well, Paul then qualifies the statement of Christ-centered provision with the statement of relationship to Christ and the church, a mystery that is profound. Unfamiliar to those Old Testament times, it is now being revealed to the church today. Unbeknownst to the people of Moses' day, marriage was designed by God from the beginning to be a picture or parable of the relationship between Christ and the church. God planned marriage with this great purpose in mind. A beautiful, earthly picture of the relationship that someday would come about between Christ and the church. Then Paul concludes this, his practical implications and picture of, of, of a Christ-centered marriage with a final conclusion of biblical submission and headship. And I apologize, so I'm moving a little bit fast now. A final exhortation for husbands to love their wife and wives to respect their husbands. Husbands, loving your wife well by biblical leadership, protection, and provision. In return, wives respect your husband. This is the same language in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, you love your wives well when you lead with a servant's heart informed by the word. Husbands, you lead your, love your wives well when you protect her both in word and deed, guarding her from the evil one. Husbands, you love your wives well when you provide by willingly doing hard things. All of this is an act of love and a form of submission out of reverence for Christ. What greater love than one who lays down his life for the sheep? What greater love the one who dies for the ungodly? What greater love the one who spreads his arms out wide and nails it to the cross? This is the kind of love that we are called to, men. This is the kind of love we're called to love our wives Husbands, this is the kind of love that invokes a response from you women. This is the kind of love that a wife is willing to submit under. And this idea of love for you, friends, might be foreign. 
How can you freely give of your time, energy, and resources to love in this way without expecting it to be reciprocated? Being a servant leader, you might think this is a weakness. Repent and believe, friend. Christ can show you an eternal relationship of love that will change everything. Husbands, young men, it's a struggle. And you cannot do it in your own vain efforts. Remember, you can only love your wife so as you do unto the Lord, as far as Christ constrains me. Look to Christ who willingly gave himself up for you. Show yourself a man and submit to his will in a Christ-centered marriage. And if you're not doing that, repent and believe. Put your eyes back on Christ. Christian, maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you just want out. It's a ball and chain keeping you captive. Remember that Christ did what you cannot. He pursued you. He led you. He protects you. And he provides above and beyond you can ever think or imagine. And he loved you to the point of death. Look to Christ and the hope of the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will sit at the table, the banquet table of Christ, and not settle for the table scraps of this world. And as the worship team comes, I will end with God's word in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When David's time to draw die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Praise the Lord that His Word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible Word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connections Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso, along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.